This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. So uh, I think this is, comes of no surprise of being here now uh, 20-something years that you know that I'm not from around these parts originally. Uh, born in Zimbabwe, Africa. It was Rhodesia at the time, but grew up in Africa, and uh, it was once a British colony, which meant that most of the people, even though it's in Africa and you have these tribes that, that originate there, uh, most folks speak English. Now, there are two dominant tribes in, Af- in Zimbabwe. There are the Shonas, who speak Shona, and the Indabeles that speak Indabele. Indabele is one of those languages that they have clicks in, you know, do that kind of stuff. Very interesting to hear. Um, the funny thing is, is that because of this, a lot of the people, and you would say local folk, will typically have an English name, and then they'll have names in their uh, native language that goes along with that. So they would have an English name, and then names that go with their, their native language. But it's always surprising to see, because they don't come necessarily from a Western British viewpoint, it was always surprising to hear the names that they choose for their English names. So I, my, my, one of my best friends lived across the street from me. His name was Doctor. That was his first name, Doctor. Doctor Masaire. And we called him Doc, of course, but Doc was, was a great guy, but that was his name. And we would never call one of our kids Doctor uh, that way. We would hope they would become a doctor, maybe, but we never call them Doctor. Uh, another person I knew, his first name was Spider. Maybe when he was born, ah, Spider! Okay, we'll call him Spider. I don't know. Uh, I, who knows what was going on there? Okay, how about this one? And then this one really used to make me chuckle all the time. Uh, I had a kid whose name was Why Not? <laughs> so maybe it was like, hey, Mom, Dad, hey, you want another kid? Hey, why not? You know, it's like, why not? Talking about having another kid, I, I read this, and you know, this crazy name thing doesn't just happen in, in Africa. I heard uh, of this family uh, from Michigan, I believe they are, uh, Kateri and Jay Shawit, something like that, a family that have 14 kids, and all 14 are boys. Yeah, no, they said number 14, that's it. Now, part of the speculation was is that they kept having kids because they were trying for a girl. And they just kept going and going. Now, that's just speculation that's being fueled by a story that connects to the name of their 14th kid. His name was Finley Sheboygan. And uh, apparently, according to Jay, his father-in-law was telling him a story about an Indian, a Native American Indian who kept having chief, that kept having boys as well. And so the last kid that he had, they named him Sheboygan, which was short for she be a boy again. Finley, she be a boy again. So uh, we all know about names. You know, for us in our culture, names are important, right? It represents your family. It represents who you are. But in many ways, we've lost um, the sense of what a name means, although I think it's, it's coming back. A lot of younger folk are choosing names that have meaning, that have significance, that have depth to, to why they name their child this way. But um, in ancient times, in Bible times, a person's name really encapsulated who they are, who they were, their character, their, their life, their life trajectory. A person's name captured the essence of that person. 
And whenever a person changed their name, it was more than just a legal thing where their name was changed. You know, you know don't call me Jim, now call me Bob. No, it was, it was a matter of, of making a commitment to a different life trajectory. It was a making a, a statement that my, my identity has been changed, my character has been changed, my essence has been changed because I have a new name. And this was especially true when someone's name was changed by the Almighty God Himself. And what we're going to do now is we're going to enter into a journey that's going to take us all the way to Easter, in which we're going to investigate this, this experience that we see in the Bible and we can have today. When, when we have an encounter with God, transformation happens on the level of which our names are changed. We're given a new identity, the Scripture says, and that new identity is almost like having a new name, a God name. And we're going to journey through Scripture, through various places in the Bible that tells the story of an individual who has an encounter with God and who God changes that person's name. And in the name change, what you have is, is a character change, an identity change, a life trajectory change that occurs by this person walking with God, by this person being made right with God in their life. Now, the first person we're going to be talking about this morning is a man named Abram. You find out all about Abram in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. And what you discover is that Abram lived with his family in the region of Mesopotamia. He and his family lived at a time in which uh, they worshipped all these different kinds of idols. He was a polytheist. But one day, God speaks to Abram and says, hey, follow me. And I will take you, I will lead you to a land that you don't know anything about. I'm going to take you to a land of promise by which I will give you this land. And through you and this land, I will establish a nation that will be a witness to all people. And so we're told that Abram chooses to follow the one living God and journeys living in a tent living as a nomad, following God to find the promised land, the land of Canaan. And in this journey, he not only follows God, but then he lives by a promise that God says, look, I will use you to establish a great nation. You will be the father of many. And we're going to catch up with the story in chapter 17 of Genesis. And at this place, what we find is, is that Abram is an old man. He's 99 years old. It's been 24 years since he heard from God and God said, follow me to the promised land. I will lead you to a place that you know nothing about. Just follow me in your day-to-day and I'll take you there. It's been 14 years since God said, and by the way, I will give to you a son who will then become the one in which this whole nation will come from and establish this place as my people. Abram was 99 years old. His wife was not too far behind in age. And their situation was is that she had not had a child from him. 
And while they were still traveling and looking to establish themselves in the promised land, he had yet to see the fulfillment of the promise of God in that his wife had not conceived the child. In fact, uh, you know, the way the Apostle Paul describes it in, the, in his letter to the Romans, he, she, he says, her body was good as dead. <laughs> I know some of us are getting up there. We're like, I understand what that feels like, right? Her body was good as dead in reference to being able to have a child. It was a very blunt way of saying, she ain't having no babies. And so we catch up to the story here. Verse 17, chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you. A covenant's agreement, it's a, it's a matter of promise, right? And, you, and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer, here's the name change, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now, we're going to take a moment just to uh, note a couple things, and it's important in this whole thing, since we're talking names, to remember in these scriptures, names have it all. And we're going to begin with, if you, have your, if you have your Bibles, you have it printed there, you can circle these things. First of all, circle what God says about himself. He says, Abram, my name is God Almighty. The Hebrew is El Shaddai, the God who provides. Abram, I am the living God. I am the only God. I am the one that is able to fulfill my promises. Even in the face of what obviously looks like a miracle is needed. I am the one. I am God Almighty. Now remember, Abraham, Abraham had chosen to follow God amongst all the other options that he had. He had chosen to follow God to, to be led to the promised land. And he had lived by the promise that God was going to make him a father through his wife, Sarah. But he hadn't seen any of that. And so God reminds Abram of, of how this promise is going to happen. Hey, it's not going to happen by your own means. It's going to happen because I am God Almighty. Now, Abram's name is interesting. His name means, Abram means exalted father. His name really reflects what I would say the talent and resources of the man, exalted father. And if you read the story, you realize Abraham was actually a pretty uh, powerful dude in that area. He, he amassed a whole bunch of wealth. He even had like could hire a private army and go to war. Uh, he was a guy that had means and capabilities. He was well established. He was the head of a, of a large community. He had resources, he had, he had means, he had talent. But his wife couldn't get pregnant. His wife couldn't get pregnant. And with everything that Abram could do, what he could not do 
was to fulfill the promise of God. Because why? Because that is only something that God Almighty could do. And so Abram is reminded, hey, you're 99 years old. I'm God Almighty. And you're exalted father. You're a pretty good dude, but through me, you will become Abraham. And Abraham means what? Father of multitude. Your identity will be changed through my power, through my work. And the way in which you shall see my work in your life is how? Faith. And so that's why I say, Abraham, exalted father, becomes Abraham, father of a multitude because of his faith in God. And Abraham will be the Bible's number one example of faith. The number one picture of an individual who is made right with God and sees the power of God fulfilled in his life, the promises of God come to fruition in his life by faith. Abraham's name will be changed through faith, through belief, which points to a promise that each one of us can access, that God has made a, right, a way for us to have life, to be made right with him, to see fulfillment of promises that he gives. The Bible says eternal life. And the means by which we can access that, have that, is not by our own means, not by our own strength, not from being Abram, magnificent father, but by submitting ourselves to faith and seeing God at work. You see, what we're going to discover in this whole journey, this whole conversation about Abraham in the Scripture, what we're going to discover is that what is important is not the quality of our faith, but the object of our faith. What we're going to discover is that what's important is not the quality of our faith, not how much we believe, but the object. A couple of things to consider. First of all, let's talk about faith itself. We are people who believe. I don't care who you are. If you're a human being, you live by faith assumptions regarding the world. Belief, we are the sum of our beliefs. We have hundreds and hundreds of beliefs that run through our brains that determine how we act in life, right? How, what we believe about hygiene determines whether or not we brush our teeth or wash our hands. What we believe about nutrition determines whether or not we choose a donut or a banana. I had to say banana because some of you like me to say banana. <laughs> what we believe about the government and freedom and how we're to live determines whether we vote for Jane or for Joe. What we believe about life determines how we respond and act. It's faith that pushes us to discover cures for disease. It's faith that pushes us to, to, to explore the boundaries of our lives. I'm, I'm reading a book about the autobiography of the Wright brothers, Wilbur and Orville from Dayton. And it's amazing to, to, to read through their story. And, you know, the one thing that just struck me, these guys believed they had faith that flight could be achieved by human beings. 
And they lived in a world of skepticism. At the time, everyone was saying, there's no way. Man will never fly. It will not happen. But these two men believed it. And they, were, they owned a bicycle shop. They didn't go to university. But they had an unquenching passion to seek out the solution to flight that was grounded in a faith that we can figure out how to fly. And they did it. Faith has produced the best of humanity. And unfortunately, faith has also motivated us to do some of the worst. We are shaped by our beliefs. Recently, I read of a book that was talking about the effect of stress. And all of us assume that stress is bad. But actually, this book, uh, I think a guy's name was James Alcott, said something to the effect that what we're discovering after some research of thousands of people that have endured stress and, and gone through anxiety issues and suffered from them, what we were discovering, it's not anxiety and stress that's the problem. It's what you believe about anxiety and stress that affects you. This was borne out in, in, a, in a survey of a number of CEOs, number of CEOs who, who go through high-pressure situations, anxiety-ridden situations, and what they discovered, those CEOs that were able to be resilient and actually able to flourish and do well physically, uh, mentally, emotionally, those that were able to do well, the difference than those that fell apart and had serious health issues, their difference was their view on stress. They didn't see stress as bad, but they saw stress as an opportunity, a challenge. And while they were going through difficult times, they recovered quickly from those difficult times to flourish. What was the difference? Their view on what they believed about stress. We are shaped by our faith. Now, you will face this head-on if you visit a foreign country. If you enter into a culture that's not your own, and you live amongst people that speak a different language and have a different orientation towards life, you will discover this in visiting, say, for instance, like I did a few months ago, I was in the Dominican Republic. In the Dominican Republic, community is high value. Folks sit out on the streets. They don't sit around the TV to say we're being together, and they don't sit in their rooms on their phones. to be. No, they sit out in the streets, and they talk, and they converse, and they enjoy each other's company. That's what they do. Now, while this is noble, it becomes a problem when it's New Year's Eve, and it's like four in the morning, and we Americans are trying to sleep in the house we're staying, and the neighbors or out in the street playing their music. And in Dominican Republic, there's a high value on community and there's a high value on volume. <laughs> so at about 3.30 in the morning, uh, we were staying there and I came out onto the porch and this is what I discovered. This is from the porch. This is a family across the way. That SUV out there, that is a boom box. Whole bunch of of, of, of speakers, and notice the whole family is just sitting right there behind it, and just sitting there. And this music's like blasting away, 3.30 in the morning. Can you hear the music? Okay, so imagine you're in a concrete box listening to that, because, you know, everything is, is brick and mortar and, and hard services. Well, I hear apparently that one of the ways they torture uh, prisoners of war as they blast them with music for hours and hours and hours. That's how I felt. I mean, the windows were vibrating. I mean, the bass on that thing, I mean, I felt like I was having like heart palpitations, right? 
and, and my ears were bleeding three in the morning. Now, my view is, my value in life is, hey, it's four in the morning. The neighborly thing is to turn it down and take it inside and be quiet because other neighbors want to sleep. That is a, a faith assumption about life, right? That's not there. I can guarantee you if, if really, you know what they would have loved? If I went down, the Americano that's not really Americano uh, went down and uh, went down and I started sitting with them and talking to them and, you know, I would have sat on this side for like 20 minutes so this ear would bleed and then I would sit on this side for 20 minutes so this ear would, and I would matching bleeding ears. But I came to realize what made the difference. The difference was culture. The difference was faith. The difference was my belief about how life should be and how people should operate and things that, that occur. There was a difference, and it led to a little bit of a, a conflict. My faith shapes who I am. Now, something to address that connects us back to the story of Abraham. We are told constantly in today's culture that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. That sincerity of belief is more important than the object of belief because all ways lead to the same God, right? All ways lead to the same, same place. Abraham's story tells us that that's not true. Abraham's story tells us that the Bible makes the claim that quality of faith is less important than the object of faith. Quality of faith is less important than the object of faith. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, go, and it will jump into the sea. And what was he pointing to? He was saying that the issue is not the size of faith. The issue is the size of your God. And the story of Abraham reminds us, better a little faith in a big God than a whole big faith in a bunch of little wrong gods. And the question is, is not do you believe? The question, because all of us believe, all of us have faith assumptions about life and about eternity and about what's important and what's valuable. We all have those faith assumptions that we live by. The question is, who is the object of your faith? Who is the object of your faith? And the story of Abram says that faith in the God of the Bible, faith in God Almighty, El Shaddai, will set you right in life. Faith in the God Almighty will set you right in life. And it's funny that Abraham is set up as the example of living by faith. And if you take a deep dive into his life, you're like, I don't know why they put him as an example because the guy was a failure. When it came to faith and trusting in God, twice, not once, twice, he flaked out and lied in order to protect himself, he lied about his relationship with his wife and said, oh, she's my sister. Twice. I mean, guys, we do that once with our wives and then we do it twice. Eh, not a good track record in faith and trust in God. Then he's told he's going to be a father of a great nation. What does he do? He tries to do an end around, tries to live as Abram, the exalted father, and he impregnates his wife's servant girl. Now, it was all legal on paper, but it wasn't by faith. Then God says to him, hey, by the way, Abraham, your wife's going to get pregnant and you're going to have a child. You're 99 years old. What does he do? He laughs. She laughs. That's why they call the kid Isaac when, when, when he's born, which means laughter. 
They laugh. Why do they laugh? Not because they were happy. I think they laughed because they thought, right. <laughs> really? Look at me. I'm an old geezer. It's not going to happen. Abraham, his faith was not what we would call high quality. In fact, you might argue that his father, Terah, had a better quality faith in worship of his idols than Abraham exhibited in the worship of his God. But what Abraham tells us is this, is that when God said, come, follow me, Abraham did that. And he placed his imperfect faith, his small faith, his faith of struggles and difficulty, of temptation and failure, he placed his trust in the right God, the living God, El Shaddai. And because of his faith in God, his life trajectory was forever changed. He went from Abraham, who lives by his own resource, to Abraham, who lives out the promises of God and sees God work through him, a miracle by which we actually are being blessed by. Because through Abraham comes Israel. Through Israel comes the Messiah, Jesus. And through Jesus comes a way in which all of us will be made right with God through that same kind of faith that Abraham had. Even if it's as small as a mustard seed. It is not the quality of your faith. It is not the performance of your faith. It is not the, the, the depth and, and, and breadth of your faith that matters. It is the object of your faith. Believe in the true and living God and you will see the promises of God come together. And when your faith is the size of mustard seed, because you're beaten down, disappointed, disillusioned, you are saddened and sickened, and you are worn out, and you just want to give up. Just hold on. Because it's not about your faith and its strength. It's about the God you believe in, El Shaddai, God Almighty. I like this quote by a man named James Dunn regarding Abraham. The character of Abraham's faith is determined by the character of the God in whom he believed. Abram becomes Abraham, name changed, identity, because he had faith in El Shaddai. Faith in God and the God of the Bible, and this is the claim we make, and it's the claim that's consistent throughout scriptures. Faith in the God of the Bible sets me right for life. Who do you believe in? Is God the object of your faith? Are you struggling, constantly beating yourself up at the quality of your faith, forgetting that it's not on you, but instead it's on you relying on the God who is able, El Shaddai? I see too many people of faith beating themselves up, feeling like they're failures, saying things like, I need to clean my act together before I come back to God. I need to do this before I can be act to God. I, 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 I mess up regularly. And, and, and what they're doing is they're, they're living as Abram. They're living as, as trying to live by their own resources, figure out their own way, figuring out how to pull it together by pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. You can't do that. In order to receive the promise that God provides 
believe and trust in your day-to-day, in your moment-to-moment. Relax in the grace of God. He has provided a way for you to be right. And in that, you not only have a new status, you're no longer considered guilty, deserving the punishment of death and separation. No, you're considered a child of God who now has access to God to live for God in this life by the resources God provides. And it's a day-to-day, moment-by-moment trust. Trust. Faith in the God of the Bible sets me right for life. It's not the quality of your faith, but the object of your faith that's important. I don't know how that lands with you. I don't know where that lives in your life and how that applies to you in your faith journey. But I pray that you will be encouraged by the story of Abraham and you will see the example that he lays forth and you will live in that as well for that is available to you and to me. I have my friend, I think Ron and and Bob coming down. These two gentlemen are available to pray with you, to talk with you. Uh, Barb is with Ron here, available to pray with you ladies if you feel more comfortable. Um, If you would like to talk to them about things in your life, we talked about belonging. Here's a great opportunity for someone to know your name and to pray with you and pray blessing of God who is able, El Shaddai, God Almighty, to work in your life. If you want to talk to them about next steps, uh, I know that there's a baptism that's come from one of the other services scheduled. Water's warm. Yep, it is. Um, and so we're good to go. If it isn't, oh, well, that's a real, real experience then, a real baptism. Eyes will open up. Um, so that's available if you want to talk to them about next steps in your walk of faith. The invitation is there. God is, has provided a way for you to be right. He has made all the moves. Believe. And your belief doesn't have to be perfect. And you may have questions and you may have doubts and you may have struggles. That's okay. It's not about your faith and the size of it. It's about trust and the faith of a mustard seed. Step and trust God. He's the name changer. He's the life giver. So let's stand and let's close with prayer. And if you want to come down after we pray to talk to one of these guys, folks up here, you can. Lord, thanks so much for this time we can share. Thanks for the story of Abraham. Thank you for the blessing he provides to us. If we... I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, and I pray that you speak to each of us uh, where we are in our lives, uh, challenging us perhaps where we need to, to learn to trust in you, to recognize that perhaps we have uh, compromised in the object of our faith. We have trusted in ourselves. We've trusted in other things that are smaller, lesser gods that are not God at all. Help us to uh, fully give ourselves to you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.